Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to the Money Marketing Podcast. I'm Lois Vallely, Chief Reporter, and for this episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Hawkins and Andrew Zetara from Profura. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Um, So maybe you could just um, start off by introducing yourselves, um, saying a bit about how you got into financial services, how you got to where you are today, and a bit about your current roles. Um, Andrew, you're at the top of my screen. So perhaps you could start. Sure. Um, so I started my working life in financial services as a power planner almost 30 years ago. So I started in the sort of technical side of things, crunching numbers, preparing advice, and have worked in various advice roles um, over the last sort of that being nearly 20 plus years in advice roles and then transitioned in an advice role to technology. So um and that was my sort of entree into the IT world and and uh, and technology. So um, have spent about, about the last eight years on large enterprise technology projects, um, covering advice, uh, major infrastructure, financial services infrastructure, um, and more recently back into advice. So that's how I got here. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, Jonathan. Uh, yes, hello everybody. Uh, Jonathan Hawkins. Um, I'm principal consultant at Provera. I've probably got about 25, maybe 26 years in financial services. I started um, in pensions administration back uh, in the day when you used to have to book the computer in the corner uh, to go and update administration records or run any kind of uh, any kind of calculation or whatever. And uh, and then moved um, quite swiftly into into sort of technology and implementation of, uh, of the administration systems, which kind of came from what you might call a misspent youth of uh, playing around with computers and pulling them to bits and um, writing programs and all that sort of thing. And uh, and and I'm very passionate about how financial services and pensions and so on um, fits for the the sort of regular person in the street. And I think that comes from my my administration days when I'd be dealing with the end customers. So I'm always got them in mind is to do they really understand this, you know, complex, murky world that they're putting their money into. And uh, and so today I sort of find myself sort of doing a little bit of crystal ball gazing, looking into the future as to how uh, software and technology can sort of bridge the gap between what mere mortals understand and what the financial services world conjures up with regards to products and services and uh, and where that can sort of help make things quicker, faster, more streamlined and of better quality. Brilliant. Well, that sounds ideal because today we are going to be um, focusing on the hot topic of artificial intelligence, probably talking a bit more about technology wide, more widely as well. Um, but so specifically AI, you know, it's gained a massive traction, I think, even over the past six months to a year, it seems to have really shot up the national and international agendas. Um, but I wondered because um, I obviously we 
write and speak for financial advisors. So what do you think it means for the financial advice profession, this this sort of um, coming about of using more artificial intelligence? ChatGPT, for example, I think became quite sort of well known at the end of last year. Um, and how do you think, if at all, they're being used by IFAs today? I'll tackle maybe, maybe if I go first, Jonathan. Yes. Um, yeah. I also didn't introduce, I realised I didn't introduce my role as well. So I'm the product manager for advice. Um, so this is a very interesting topic to me personally as well. I'm, I'm sort of deeply passionate about a uh, similar sort of thing along along the same lines as um, Jonathan. In, in I, I always think about my parents when it comes to advice and what's consumable. Um, so you're absolutely right. Um, artificial intelligence has sort of, uh, I would call it rocketed to public prominence, um, largely due to chat GPT. Um, so I'll cut to the chase, I'll maybe start at the end and then come work backwards. But um, I think in summary, advice, intelli advice intelligence, uh, artificial intelligence uh, has enormous potential when it comes to financial advice. Um, the, the fundamental reason is because um, people's situations are not black and white, as in the consumer is not um, financially optimal. You know, we have children, we buy houses, we lose jobs, all of those sorts of things, which an algorithm doesn't handle well. And large language models like ChatGPT deal with ambiguity uh, far better in a, in, in a software sense than any other type of model. So that's the sort of, sort of my starting point for today. It's, it's a hugely exciting. Um, I'll caveat it with saying we're not there yet, though, and I think that's possibly something to explore. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think I, you know, I'd agree. There is, is we aren't, we aren't there, but there's some really interesting stuff um, coming forth. And I think probably one of the things to tackle head on is actually um, uh, artificial intelligence at the moment is relatively stupid. Um, it, it knows what you've told it um, yeah, and, and it makes decisions based off of that. So, you know, you can almost say that, you know, if you give a student a certain curriculum that's very narrow, they only know what they know. They don't know anything outside of that and you don't teach them how to learn outside. So the key thing, I think, uh, particularly with ChatGPT at the moment, that people are seeing is there are limitations in it. It doesn't always get the answers right. Um, and there's some squ quite spectacular you know, uh, first up um, howlers of, of what it came out with and they sort of changing the model, adjusting it. And that's one of the reasons they've put it out there for free so people can test it and trial it and they can improve on it. And large language models, I think within Bravira, we've been working on them for quite a few years now. And we've sort of, um, we've learned a lot in that time. And, you know, that the, the, the most you learn is when things don't quite go as you anticipate. And when you're in new technology, things don't go as you anticipate because you you can't you can't as a human kind of work out what you don't know. You can take some best guesses. You can you can learn. And when you start to look at that within the advice space, the same thing same thing happens. It needs to understand what the um, what the parameters are. Um, and you can look at uh, some of the some of the slightly ridiculous. Um, things that people are doing on ChatGPT at the moment, such as asking it to put together a um, an investment plan for them. You know, you can get it to go off and do these things. 
you can argue as to whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing and you can look at the outcome and in some cases it might be might might be okay to and stand up into scrutiny but there's no validation of that and i think that's where with particularly within the advice space and within financial services that's where the regulator is going to be really keen to understand what the parameters are and i think that's where trust is going to come in because in financial services it's all about trust it's all about that um confidence in the system and we've seen quite recently in a number of a number of cases in in, in financial services particularly in the uk when confidence is lost it all goes you know all bets are off really and i think that's where where we are with with ai there's some absolutely huge potential but um but we've got to be mindful uh, of of how that gets implemented yeah definitely it's interesting when you were saying about ai being really stupid at the moment because um obviously being a journalist therefore a writer when it first came in um we were all quite concerned you know that it would just be able to write stuff for us but when i actually tried it out it's all it, the novelty wore off quite quickly it was very exciting at first how it could just write you know you could just tell it to write something and it would just write it but um as you say it, it's it can only be based off what you tell it so it's not very creative i one of my colleagues was getting a bit concerned you know saying oh I don't, I don't know maybe it will take our jobs and I um did this example where I wrote a feature interview for the feature that I was uh, feature intro for the feature I was writing then and then got it to write a feature intro and compared them and I was like yeah I don't think it's going to be taking my job just yet um but also I think um you only have to look at something like the iPhone 16 years ago to realize how quickly technology can advance so it's definitely um something that anyone has to be aware of you know that it could um get so much more what am i trying to say could get so much more advanced so quickly um so yeah um i also think maybe it's quite important because just um i've been having some conversations with people about ai and the difference between that and automation i don't know if you could maybe sort of talk a bit about how they differ how they're similar um andrew yeah, sure. Um, well, machine learning is probably one of the more common terms I think that we hear, um, which is really a subset of of artificial intelligence. But um, in preparation for today, I actually asked, ironically, ChatGPT um, what it meant by GPT. Yeah. Uh, and um, so GPT, for those of you who don't know, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Um, the term um, generative refers to the model's ability to generate text. Pre-trained obviously means the data that it's trained on, which is also a really interesting thing. So I'll come back to that point in a moment. But um, just by way of reference, GPT-1, the first version, had 117 million data points in it. GPT-2 had 1.5 billion. GPT-3.5, which is the public version that most people are using today, had 175 billion. So it's in each order of magnitude and release, it's gone up significantly. And the most recent release, GPT-4, has been undisclosed. Now, Sam Altman, who's the CEO of uh, OpenAI, which uh, owns ChatGPT, came out at a conference in April. And his his message was um, that give more data at this point isn't going to improve the experience to your to your experience Lois it's just it's it's the same model itself doesn't actually get any better the more data you you give it so Mm. his argument is that that the the next evolution of artificial intelligence will be in in the 
the the T of the chat GPT, which is which is in a transformation sort of al algorithm and how it how it uses all of that information and strings it together to produce answers. So it's it's a really interesting time. Um, you know, from from the Australian context, you know, this is an American model. Um, there's lots of examples where people have asked it questions, and it's surprisingly um, well informed about Australian tax law, for example. And I'm sure it's the same with UK tax law, for example. Yeah, very much. Yep. Um, now, obviously, that's only up to September 2021 in the current model, but mm. even so, the the it gets the basics right when it comes to tax thresholds and things like that. Um, so, so you know, that's not the element of of this that I think that people need to worry about. It's the other the other bits, as Jonathan says. It's just getting it getting it right because it can be can produce some strange strange results. Um, so, sort of a very long way around of of um, sort of addressing your question. With, um, mm. But I I hope that sort of expands. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, Jonathan, Jonathan wants to add. Yeah, I think yeah, an automation really sort of comes not only just from the machine learning, but actually from um, more traditional um, uh, coding capabilities of, um, uh, you know, if this, then that. Uh, so, you know, it's able to automate things more um, more capably. And we've got such better software tools, even in the last two or three years, that actually start to bring coding down into sort of low or no code. So actually, you know, business, more business users can kind of just give it general instructions and and the software understands. So you sort of get to um, get to very different levels of, of being able to automate things. So you kind of put that into people's hands. Problem with that, and I've seen this a number of times in my career, is, um, uh, it's like the old Spider-Man thing is is with great power comes great responsibility. And again, you know, you have to be mindful of what you're telling these things to do. Um, and I've seen people sort of automate themselves into into very rigid corners before um, and then not be able to get back. So so it's like a lot of things. You, you have to be mindful about what you're doing. Um, I think quite interestingly, um, uh, Microsoft are about to release something they're calling Copilot into their Office applications, and I think you, uh, uh, Lois, you mentioned about um, your profession in um, in, in journalism, mm. and and that might be where you start to see more benefits from AI in the fact that it helps you with your your article. So you know we're kind of getting further and further away from the Microsoft Word paperclip that used to used to drive us all oh, crazy, um, and more into that understanding of the body of work and giving you better examples and better ways of doing things. And of course, that's going to then share up to the Azure cloud, and it's going to use the models up in the Azure cloud to to do this. So it's going to learn. So coming back to to Andrew's point as well as it is, you know, you are going to get that body of knowledge and the understanding of how people put put things together um, and so it'd be really interesting when that starts to release out I think it's end of this year beginning of next year I think some customers have got it already it'd be really fascinating to see how that comes comes to the fore and and again these AI tools will become mainstream and part of what we do as much as a spell checker or a thesaurus or um, you know jumping onto Google to check the facts on something are now and that will likely be the first thing where where advice and advisors will start to see that kind of tech come in. So, you know, it's it's looking at the structure of words in your in your documents 
you know, is that readable? Looking at the readability, is there a better way of doing it? Fascinating thing I did quite recently is a very dry update on um, uh, my, one of my other um, one of my other uh, pet loves, which is pensions dashboards, and it was quite a dry update. And uh, and I thought, ah, oh, I've got I've got um, Chat GPT open, and um, and I put in the update. So I'd sort of written it. I, I was kind of this is just really boring. It's going to you know. We, I work with quite a wide range of people. Not everybody's excited about pensions as I am. And uh, and I thought, oh, okay, chat GPT, can you rewrite this in the style of Dr. Seuss? And, <laughs> and it did a brilliant job, absolutely spot on. And uh, and I got some some good reads from that. And, you know, people read it and understood it and so on. So so there's, there's going to be a, a, a sort of a, not a crawl, but there's going to be a move towards using these tools and they will become quite pervasive. I think the key thing is, is then when we build them into um, actual advice models and, uh, and and into regulated areas, that's going to be the interesting part. Yeah, I, I think this is a really interesting point here is that computers are, to your original question about automation and those, you know, what, what exists today, computers already are very good at, optimizing financial situations um, at a point in time. So artificial intelligence, I don't think is going to improve that projection capability or optimization capability really beyond what exists today. There's some really good um, you know, optimization routines that, that we use in practice today. Um, maths is maths. Artificial intelligence isn't, isn't going to improve that. Um, what it will improve is, is like a I call it the grey areas and the ambiguity and the, the softer things around it. Um, you know, it's it's the a really good example is you know the agile question um, that that consumers often ask: Should I put money away for retirement or should I pay off some debt or my pay off the house? Um, and which is better? And you can give that you can give a financially optimal answer to that question, but it may not be the right thing for that person at that time. Because um, if they're socking money away for retirement and they can't access it, and they've got two dependent children, and you know, so it's all of those factors, I think that that artificial intelligence actually will enhance the current type of model. Yeah, no, definitely, that's interesting. Um, we've already talked on it quite extensively, but are there any other sort of main opportunities that you think um, AI can bring to, to financial advice? Um, and again, we've talked about it, but what are some of the other limitations do you think of using AI? Uh, from my perspective, I think if you if you think of a you know digital advice is gaining traction, um, or, or certainly the desire to bring digital advice models to market, um, the user experience is absolutely critical in that. So, the what we've seen to date is very language driven models. And not everybody responds to to that type of uh, information. You know, we know that people consume information in different ways. Um, the other thing is, you know, there is there is some research that says, in a nutshell, uh, consumers don't trust advice given by computers. They want it either verified by humans uh, or at least checked. You know, there's a there's an emotional um, verification or, or validation. In that mm. process, and I think that's really important when when we come to significant decisions 
that people are making about their finances. So I, I think there is an inherent scepticism and, and a healthy and good scepticism that consumers have about this type of thing. So I, I think the challenge uh, will be in bringing these models to market is, how, as Jonathan sort of alluded to earlier, how do you actually prove that this thing is giving you the right answer? Um, I think most people will have played around with ChatGPT and with various things as you have and gotten mixed results and in some things like the dr zeus you know it's it's actually really i've had it write me jokes um you know in in, in a particular style and you know on particular topics for example and it's really good at that sort of stuff but it can get things factually wrong and i think that's and i think most consumers um at the moment have, still still understand that so that's going to be the big challenge is how do we how do we get over that um, not only from a regulatory perspective, but just from a from a, a general usage perspective. Mm. I'd agree on that. I think the um, I think there's a number of things uh, to unpack in that. One is is regulators. We know, particularly in the UK, um, there is such tight regulation around advice, and you know that's 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 subject to to lots of people looking at the advice guidance boundaries and and so on. Um, so we, we we kind of know the regulators uh words now um the regulators are somewhat shy of um of these kind of these kind of changes um they need an awful lot of um reassurance it's the right things to do and in particular areas where i can look at um work being done in pensions dashboards and what are called post view services which is sort of where people could offer additional services to sort of extend the dashboard into, for example, digital advice, there's an awful lot of um, sort of nervousness within the regulator around what could cause consumer harms. Um, and there's quite a lot of debate to be had there because regulators are very good at regulating what they know. And in technology, there's an awful lot of we don't know yet because it's you know it really is the vanguard of something new mm. and the government is keen to sort of have more innovation in this space but there's sort of that 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 perpetual trade-off between it needs to be innovative but it also needs to be safe because that you know there's that that, that real little trade yeah, i think from that's the that, from the australian perspective jonathan it's exactly the same the regulators they've announced a consultation they in june um on advice in, uh, 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 on artificial intelligence, um, but uh, the current law basically says you need to be able to demonstrate and uh, un reverse engineer, in effect, how you arrived at your recommendation. And the current models actually don't don't facilitate that. Sorry, I interrupted there. No, no, I, that's absolutely right. And I think the key thing there is um, is is the models in my mind at least to start with they're going to have to show their workings they're going to have to show how they got to that example it's almost like you know when you're at school you had to do your math sums and you had to sort of show how you got there mm -hmm. um same principle and i think i think the tools are going to have to do that which should be quite good so long as the humans can read what's coming out of the system and understand what it's telling you i think the other thing and, and andrew kind of picked up on this is how consumers will value computer or digital advice because as Andrew quite rightly says is is there is a value placed on human time and physical products 
we say less value, and you can look at this in the music industry, you can look at this in Netflix and so on, is that people put less value on digital products and services. So if you think about CDs, you used to go out and spend, you know, 10, 15 quid on a CD, you're now paying 9.99 for as much music as you like from Apple Music or Spotify or whoever. Mm. Um, same with Netflix, you know, you used to have to subscribe to Sky or you had to, you know, buy a DVD um, or, you know, chess or go to Blockbuster. And, um, you know, you, you've got the fact that it was a physical thing. You, it had more value than, than than digital. And again, going to see somebody and spend time with somebody I think in people's minds has more value than clicking a few buttons on a website. So there's a, there's a huge thing in there, I think, for for us as an industry and for us as, as technologists is to prove that value and explain why that comes at a cost point. However, I think that the benefit there is you get scale and, and this should bring scale that isn't currently possible in the in the markets. So, you know, mere mortals that don't have gazillions of dollars and pounds in their in their bank accounts and afford advice particularly in the UK we know it's um you know it's generally for the elite and for the wealthy mm. there's there's us mere mortals who kind of have to get by but actually digital advice you know uh with um in time AI creeping in to to sort of give ranges fill out some of those gray areas perhaps even be able to give more of a running running commentary on people's um, balances and, and and where they're going and you know being able to react in real time to events you know whether it's stock market changes or whether it's life changes or whatever it can it can do things more quickly and for a greater market and as soon as you get to that greater market and the mass market you know we know that the, the price per how individual does start to come down and I suspect that's where we'll we'll end up yeah definitely <clears throat> really interesting point about putting more value on physical things I hadn't really thought of that I used to go out and buy DVDs for 12.99 or whatever it was but now I, I I don't even pay full Netflix subscription I share one with my family so exactly yeah. and, and you know we, we just consume and consume and consume we don't need to own anything um you know I I Got rid of all my dvd collection quite some time ago because it's mm. i can just get what i want when i want it and it doesn't have to sit there and collect dust yeah um and and, and it's it's going to be the same i think you know there'll still be people that they want to go and sit down in front of an advisor but i suspect since the pandemic people are more happy to have it via zoom calls or teams calls and i suspect we'll start to edge more into that that hybrid space Mm. as as the tools come on to, to sort of drive that forward yeah definitely there's some really good um ai chatbots around already i found certainly for basic needs i can't remember exactly what it was but i think i was uh booking some hotels and i got the names wrong on a couple of the rooms and it would have used to have had to have been uh call someone to change the names or even emails to change the names it would take forever i went on to the ai chatbot and it was just telling me how i could do it just happened in about five minutes so it was great yeah, so, yeah uh, definitely and that's it. how that's how you can sort of change that automation piece, that sort of understanding of what the customer's after and that sentiment of what the customer's after, and then turn that into an action that means you can just get it done there and then. You haven't got to speak to an agent. 
it just gets that 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 change done and we've 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 experimented that with that over the last few years um and and it does really sort of start to come into its own mm. again being in a regulated industry does give you some more hurdles to get over and yeah. um you know it, it's that's that's where we see a sort of slower adoption in in our space it's quite frustrating i think we could be quicker but mm. um but we are a uh, conservative small c industry yeah definitely um andrew you've already talked about it a bit you know the um similar or what's happening in australia but um i wondered if you could go into a bit more detail on on what some of the similarities and differences are in how um the advice and financial services sectors are using ai and chat gpt um and are there any lessons that the uk sector can learn from australia well, I think sometimes Australia is held up as a as a leader, a global leader in terms of advice. Um, I think that uh, certainly was true, say, 10, 10 years ago. I think the playing field has certainly levelled far more since then. I, I wouldn't say it's perfectly levelled, but um, broadly the challenges and, and the issues are identical uh, in both markets. Um, we're supply constrained for uh, advisors. Um, there are, there's an aging population with growing retirement advice needs, uh, and they're not getting it because they either don't think that they can afford it or they can't afford it or they, they don't want it. So advice at scale is the challenge, um, and advice uh, uh, artificial intelligence pr provides the potential to give advice uh, to a, a large number of people quickly. The level of financial education in Australia uh, I suspect is slightly lower, but but again, br broadly similar, um, and it's terrible. And you know, it's it is. There, there's a famous uh, bank survey that came out uh, here in 2011 um, by one of the major banks, where they surveyed thousands and thousands of their customers, and they discovered, ironically, that 50% of them can't calculate 50% or 50%. Wow. And we expect them to understand complex tax structures, complex products, capital markets, um, you know, financial projections, all of those sorts of things. So I think the, the advice industry still has a long, long way to go when it comes to um, consumer uh, improving the experience, similar to what John, Jonathan was saying, you know, the average, the average, what would the average person think about this? And I think that's why ChatGPT Chat GPT has actually gained enormous exposure and enormous um, popularity because it's accessible uh, to the average person. And they're asking mm. it, you know, can I, you can ask it anything, and it's um, and that's good. That's a good thing. Um, so, so in my mind, anything that assists the average consumer understand more or even be engaged more with their financial future is a good thing. Um, you know, the challenge is, is the, everybody has time when they're 18 <laughs> to prepare for retirement, uh, but, you know, and there's various um, regulatory mechanisms that have been set up in, in most uh, developed economies, you know, all developed economies, to facilitate that either in a, in a forced or, or a, a regulated way, um, or with incentives to 
save for, for the future. But that that really is the problem in a nutshell, is how do we get consumers doing the right thing and behaving the right way for their financial benefit in the future? Mm. Uh, in Australia, there are examples um, of paraplanning groups who are using ChatGPT to assist. Uh, so I think we're sort of starting to see the trailing edge of that that sort of concept that Jonathan was talking about with Microsoft incorporating those tools within within their software, um, you know, albeit in a manual way at the moment. But there there is there have been several recent examples of groups, um, paraplaning groups, using tools like that to generate text based on a recommendation. And that's more about an efficiency play, though, really, I think, uh, than anything else. Um, so look, there's it's still early days here. Uh, you know, there's no, there's been some um, industry press where an advisor actually gave uh, ChatGPT a real client scenario and then picked it apart. And ChatGPT, in his estimation, uh, got the answer or, or could have gotten the answer, uh, $1.9 million wrong for this client had they acted on the advice. So, you know, I still think that, that it's very early days. I don't think there's anybody who's actually using it to give advice. I think they're mm. using it, uh, well, we know that they're using it to assist in the construction of advice um, with oversight or yeah. professional oversight, which is probably the appropriate way it should be used at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably in agreement there. I think um, it's been really interesting to see what Andrew and the team have been doing in that digital advice space in Australia. Um, we sort of had in the UK a sort of a bit of a sputter with um, with with robo advice, which was sort of, you know, a bit of a forerunner to, to, to sort of where we're, we're seeing digital advice um, as being more, more two-way, uh, a little bit more in the hands of, of consumers, but with with advisor oversight. I think some of the some of the interesting bits, and I think both markets are going to be likely to be looking at this. Is if we we look at the the uh, subsets of individuals in in the UK and in Australia, is is you know what populations of people do we have? What what types of um, types of individuals? What's their level of understanding? What's their level of education? What's their what are their interests and actually being able to play better into those into those markets. For example, we know at the moment um, there's there's a whole band of what you might what are being branded finfluencers on TikTok mm. and other um, social media. And you know FCA in in the UK has taken a bit of a dim view on that. But what they're what they're tapping into is the fact that there is a bit of a mistrust of uh, older people in suits and, um, you know, the traditional um, institutions. Uh, there is, but there is a desire to learn and get advice for what they can and can't do for short, medium, longer terms. And so there are clearly markets for this type of, this type of um information and i think this is where over time we're going to be able to tailor that using the technology to suit the audience and you know the answers the actual back-end answers are going to be the same depending on the scenario that's put in and you know the, the the circumstances but it's going to be able to be communicated 
in more interesting consumable ways. Um, I have, a, a, much as Andrew was talking about his mum and dad, I always used to think of my mum and dad by more, <laughs> now they're in their mid to late 80s, I, uh, I'm actually trying to, I'm more using my friendship circle. Mm. I'm looking at my friendship circle who are very intelligent people, but don't necessarily get financial services. And so I asked them some questions. One of one of my one of my um, friends is my is my little my little demo person at the moment. Phoebe. She is she's literate. She's numerate, but she cannot understand anything from her pension provider. Um, they think they're doing a really good job with comms. She cannot understand it at all. You know, she said, "I don't understand what this means. What does this mean? What is a what's a popped? What's a fund?" So you know, there's a whole communications piece around that. And I think that's really where where a lot of this is going to going to come to bear in both markets is actually being able to communicate things better. And I yeah. think that's where financial services, as Andrew was saying, struggle to 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 make people understand this complex world that that, that we we sort of live in from a financial perspective. And if we can do better on communications, we can do better on education. I think that's got to be a good thing. Mm, definitely even I don't understand everything from my pension provider and I've been writing about this sector for two years <laughs> I'm going to ask chat JPT to explain it in the, in the doctor's news <laughs> yeah, voice <exactly>. Jonathan. <laughs> well I did that I got it I got it to do a um I got it to do a benefit statement um cover letter for a defined contributions benefit statement uh for an 11 year old and it was super clear super accurate and um, explained everything so easily, you know, really simple wording. None of it was, you know, it wasn't, I didn't feel that it was was dumbing anything down particularly. It just used very clear, plain, clear language and explained things and added some extra explanations on terms or what's, what certain things mean. And I think that's that's where language models like that can, we're very good in this industry at talking to ourselves um we 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 know the lingo we know the the weird words and terms we come up with um and we know when we use three different words for the same thing um mere mortals outside of our industry uh don't so much and 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 that's where we need to get better at explaining and we are very bad at getting that feedback from the end consumer um there was a great um i think she was head of product development or head of marketing at at tesco's did a did a speech at um one of the pension industry events recently and she was saying that it's really important to know what your customers are thinking and how they are being communicated with and they'd had all these complaints about their premium sausages and they they, yeah they're basically the complaints on the on the on the telephone lines had come, gone through the roof. They couldn't understand what it was because they're the premium sausages. They'd made a small change to the to the to the, uh, the, the manufacturing process, and you know they cooked up the sausages and they're like, no, they taste fine. This is great. So what they did is they went out and they got a, a sample of their customers to come in and cook the sausages in their test kitchens, and they got you know 30 or 40 people in to cook the sausages. They said, well, there's a pack of sausages. There's a kitchen. Can you cook them? And um, and what they realised was nobody read the cooking instructions on the pack. They just put them in the oven. Mm. And what the what the actual instruction on the pack said was either grill or fry in a pan. And uh, and so it was the, the the constituent of the sausage 
was not suitable for how everybody else was going to cook sausages. And that's what was causing the problem. But they didn't know that until they went and spoke to the, and looked at the customers and spent time with the customers. And I think that's where financial advisors, that face-to-face, that human piece, is they can pick up on where it's perhaps not landing with a customer. And that's where, you know, the digital piece and particularly robo advice potentially didn't quite quite get that right. And I mm. think there's some, some really interesting things to to be able to communicate better with our end customers so they actually understand the products they've got, they understand the decisions they're making and they understand what future might look like. Yeah, definitely. That's really interesting the, with the sausages. <laughs> I would it's, I would always put them in the oven personally, but exactly that. And so they made a small change. <laughs> they have to go on the barbecue. They got the barbecue, oh, yeah, and that would have been fine. Yeah. They'd have tasted great on the barbie. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I think we're probably approaching all we've got time for. But before we wrap up, I've got a very important question. Um, <clears throat> so obviously, AI is sort of in its infancy at the moment. Do you think it will ever get to the point where it will try and kill or enslave us, or take over the world? You first, Jonathan. Yeah. Uh, well. I mean, like anything, anything could, basically, you know, if anything has malice, if things are put to nefarious purposes, then of course it can. I mean, we just have to look at, um, you know, going back to the 1980s film War Games, you know, you can do, you can do all sorts. You know, if, you're, mm. if your systems are unprotected, if you have, um, if you've got a bad actor somewhere trying to do things, of course, bad stuff can happen. But equally, we walk down streets and there's bad people around. And, you know, most of the time, bad stuff doesn't happen. And that's thanks to people having the right security. We have a police force. We, You know, we've got all the, the parts of state who are the good actors who are protecting us from the bad actors. And I think we'll see similar sorts of things. And, you know, you can look at all sorts of horror stories and sci-fi and, you know, oh, it's going to be the end of everything. Um, I think probably the more worrying part is actually quantum computing when that starts to come to bear, because there is potential for much bigger problems in that, which don't necessarily involve AI, um, because it's going to be, you know, computers are going to be able to run code so quickly that they will overrun most of the existing um, security within within networks because they can just run so quickly they can they can crack code much quicker than they can now so there's always there's always problems there's always things we worry about in life um and we can sort of decry the end of the world i mean you know you remember when the printing press came well thankfully we don't remember when the printing press came in but when the printing press came in you know the church was very much against it and it was all good you know and there was governments against it and you know because it's about the, the change of things I and mean, we, we look at the luddites and they you know kept breaking their machines because they didn't want the machines to to come on and take their jobs away so we see this quite often over history it's you know we kind of get a bit scared of what the future holds and that's that's good because it means we are cognizant of what could change um mm. so do i think it'll take over the world no i think it will change the world and i think it will change how we do things and i think it will change some of the jobs so you know the technology revolution changed changed the changed the world this will be the next evolution. What do we go into? Hopefully, it means we can all go down to four-day weeks and mm. um, and actually have more leisure time. Um, because, you know, if we look at, again, as technologies come in, we've been able to work fewer days in a week. Um, and I'm hoping that might be might be one of the good things that comes from it. That'd be great. 
Uh, I, I agree with almost everything Jonathan said. Um, I think, yeah, it's unlikely that we'll see a doomsday scenario. I, my view is that we will see regulation quite quickly of the technology itself and at least some principles and boundaries um, put in place. And there's already talk about about those principles. And if you do some Googling, they come up pretty quickly. And, and I think there is a growing voice that, that there should be some fail safes built into these types of models and those types of things. But I broadly agree with with uh, with Jonathan. Uh, the bit I disagree with is that we're going to have more leisure time <laughs> uh, as a result. Um, you know, the experience of better technologies um, has actually been that that um, that you actually get more work. <laughs> so um, I think I, I do think it will enhance our lives for the better. Um, it will improve things in many, many fields, not only uh, financial advice, it, it's already improving things in medicine. Uh, so look, it's it's a really exciting time. It's the, probably the most interesting technological innovation that's come along in a long, long, long time, you know, since the internet, I suppose, yeah. from, in my lifetime. Uh, and again, agree with Jonathan on the quantum side of things. And if you apply quantum power, to uh, AI models, then that's you know that potentially is the is the next leap that Sam Altman was referring to. Yeah, mm. it's exciting it times. It is very exciting. Great. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. I think it's been really interesting. Pleasure. Thank you yeah, very much. Likewise. For yeah. Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.